good stuff. Hey, listen, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 25. That's where we're going to be. If you have your Bible, of course, we're going to have everything uh, on the screen for you. But uh, we're not in a series right now. Um, I'm just going to preach a little old school for when, you know, just kind of whatever God, is that all right? (laughs) Just whatever God puts on my heart the next few weeks. Uh, But let me just kind of, uh, actually, we're not going to be in a series until Easter. Uh, We're going to start a series that day called All Things New. All Things New. It's going to be a series and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and then the parables and, of course, we're talking about Christ uh, crucified, resurrected, and we're believing God for many souls on Easter. You need to start inviting now. We're going to give you invite cards to give out and uh, have people come who a lot of folks only come a couple times a year, and Easter's one of them. By the way, it is spring break week. I want to strangle Cherokee County, but anyway, uh, school board for that, but, and every pastor does, but that's fine. It's at, it's, yeah, it's at the end of the week. Uh, Easter's at the end of spring break, so whatever your plans are, be sure to make it back in time to go to church with your family and friends on Easter. Let me just tell you kind of what's going to happen the next couple of weeks. Uh, of course, we're, we're preaching today, but next Sunday, you, as Brandon was saying, you don't want to miss Ramcor. Next Sunday, we had them almost four years ago, um, and they're from the University of Mobile in South Alabama. And they are phenomenal. They have a a, a drum line and brass, and it's a Christian group, so they're going to do praise and worship, and they're going to perform for for both services next week. You don't want to miss that. Uh, You will really, really enjoy that. So this is a great time to invite somebody and enjoy that next week. Uh, And then I got my Pakistani visa so that I will be able to go uh, to Pakistan, which we're going to talk about that in the meeting here after the second service. If you have given uh, anything to Pakistani freedom where we freed these families, uh, have you, if you've been praying, if you're just interested in the update, there's too much to say right now. You need to come back, go, go to breakfast, go to brunch, and then come back and come to this meeting after the second service where I'm going to update you about this trip that's coming up in two weeks and about what I'm going to, the goals that we're going to try to accomplish while, we'll, while we're there. And also answer the question, why haven't we seen more families free? There's a reason for that, and it's a challenge. So uh, please come to that if you're interested in that at all. And Pastor Tyler is going to preach while I'm gone. You don't want to miss that. He's always awesome. Uh, and then we're going to be right into Palm Sunday after that, and then Easter. So there you go, the next month. Um, but for the last few weeks, I've been thinking about one word, and that word is encounter. Everybody say encounter. What I'm talking about is have you had a personal encounter? And this is even after you've given your heart to the Lord. I'm not just talking about getting saved. I'm talking about a personal encounter with Jesus. Or, Or are you trying to survive on the echo of somebody else's encounter? Are you trying to survive on the echo of somebody else's faith? somebody else's experience? Have you taken ownership of your faith and your dedication to the Lord? I I think about my mother's story when I talk about this. Uh, She she says that when she was in her teenage years, you know, she grew up in church, small town. Church is what you did. I mean, it's, it's, there was no option. Come on, somebody. And, and, 
she taught Sunday school as a, as a teenager to young kids, and she looks back on that. She doesn't even know that she was saved. Because as soon as she got married and left little town and left mom, all bets were off. And she lived away from the Lord for a long time. And then in, in 77, 78, we moved, uh, the family moved from upstate New York, uh, where my dad had been placed for IBM. We moved back to Atlanta, to the south. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, so we moved back down, and it wasn't long after that that she gave her heart completely to the Lord. I'll let the phone get answered. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and give God praise. My mother gave her, her life completely to the Lord at that point. She made a complete commitment. She had her, her encounter with the Lord, not her mom's. She was living on now her personal experience, and she immediately began to teach that in my life. Today's sermon is all about one man's journey to one moment in time when he finally had an encounter with the living God. And he had been living off an echo of faith from his father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham. But when he finally came face to face with God for himself, it became personal. And he would never, ever be the same. Physically, as we're going to see, emotionally and spiritually, he was changed. And the wonderful news is that a God encounter is even easier today because of Jesus Christ than it was in the Old Testament. And it is available to you. It's available to me. It's one breath away. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you today. We give you praise and glory and honor. Thank you for your word. I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would bless it. Lord, I have notes here, but Lord, I pray that you would have your way and that you would speak and that we would listen. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So turn to Genesis 25. We're going to begin with verse 19. It's on the screen. It says, this is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Pater Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her room. So, he went, so she went and asked the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? Verse 23, the Lord told her, the sons in your room will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. Your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. That would be alarming to me just a little bit. I don't know, ladies. I mean... It's like this puppy or something coming. So they named him Esau. <laughs> Sorry. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. That name literally means supplanter, deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. How many 60 ready to start over right now with twins? Come on, somebody. Come on, hallelujah. No, I'm not... I'm not even hardly approaching 60, and, and it terrifies me. Anyway, so what's in a name? It's no big deal, right? I mean, yeah, his name's Deceiver, but what's in a name? 
I don't know about given names, but I do know something about labels. And labels can be dangerous. Labels like sissy, lazy, stupid, fat, whatever. If a child is labeled a certain way for long enough, especially by people that they love, that they respect, like a coach or a teacher, a friend, a parent, a grandparent, that label is likely to stick at some point. They will eventually live up or down. Come on, to the label. Let me just say, if you have influence with a child, are you listening? If you're a parent, a teacher, a coach, if you have influence with a child, be very careful with what you say to them and how you label them. When I wrote this and was writing these notes, I thought about a young man from the beginning of my ministry, well over, almost 25 years ago. I was a worship pastor and a youth pastor, and uh, this young man wasn't even in my youth ministry. He was in elementary school at the time, probably nine, ten years old. And his mom was on my praise team, and she was also my realtor, and at that time I was flipping houses and doing all that. So we spent a lot of time, and we were out one day looking at a house, and she was telling me about her son and about how concerned she was because at school they started labeling him. Now, he, was a, he wasn't an athlete. He was quiet. He was very compassionate, big heart. He's the one who would bring the, the injured animal home and, you know, all this stuff. And his, his classmates began to label him, you know, fag, gay, queer, all this stuff. And she was obviously concerned about that and all of that. And today, he has spent more time in prison and in jail than he has out. And he's lived a homosexual life. And he's a meth addict. Now, we all have choices. Come on, we're going to talk about that later. We can all stand against those labels, and God can free, of, free us of those things. But all I'm saying, my point is they are powerful. We've got to be careful. Verse 27, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, and he was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebecca, mom, loved Jacob. So already there's this weird, unhealthy division in the home. Verse 29, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Say that with me, exhausted and hungry. So even if you're new to the Bible, even if you're new to church this morning, you probably know the story of Jacob and Esau. So what I'm about to tell you is not a spoiler alert. But we all know that Esau is about to make a huge mistake, a really stupid decision. Jake, and Jacob is about to live up to his name and deceive his brother. Who else in the Bible is called deceiver? Satan is. And have you ever thought about when the enemy has been a most, most effective deceiving you? In other words, when are you most vulnerable to temptation? When you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're hungry, when your blood sugar drops. It's biology, folks. 
Satan and his demons are not stupid. They've been doing this a long time. And the biggest attack against you is not when you're going to be feeling great and full of joy and coming out of church going, whoo, glory, and all this stuff. They're going to hit you on Monday morning or Monday afternoon, actually, when you're tired, when you want to take a nap. And when that idiot coworker of yours is doing something and he's or maybe that night when somebody's doing something that he's going to hit you when you're at your lowest. Because that's what works. And that's the tactic he used against Jesus. In Matthew 4, 1 through 3, look at this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, first, verse 2 happens. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Verse 2, he became hungry after 40 days and 40. Duh, okay? During that time, the devil came. What time? When he was at his physical, physically weakest point. Now, we know that Jesus fared much better than Esau did in his temptation moments. What did Jesus do to fight the devil? He used what? The word of God. The devil would come at him with portions of, pieces of the word of God because he knows it too and he will manipulate it and make it sound good the enemy is not dumb y'all he makes it sound good but unless you know the word as well and know all of it you can't come back you can't compete with that and so that's what Jesus did to defeat the enemy but here's the deal look at the screen we can't fight with weapons we don't possess According to Ephesians 6, our only offensive weapon is what? The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But if you study the Greek there, the word is rhema. Everybody say rhema. Rhema is not black words on white paper. God is not expecting us to hurl a Bible at the devil. Come on, somebody. God is not expecting us to to use black words on white paper to fight. What he's talking about is the spoken word of God, the prophetic word as it comes out, because that is our weapon. The spoken word of God is our weapon. But if it's not in you, it can't come out of you when the enemy comes against you. Come on, what's not in you can't come out. That's why I'm on, I'm on repeat all the time about the importance of studying the Word of God. The importance of daily spending time in the Word and memorizing the Word and making it a part of who you are. Because when He comes, you have a weapon and you can fight. And even though if your, your flesh is weak, as it often is, your spirit can be strong in Him. And you can still fight and win. But if not, you're going to be left vulnerable. And that leads us back to Esau. Verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. (laughs) Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Trade me your rights. Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? Now, Esau exaggerated his appetite. He exaggerated his problem. 
in order to justify a stupid decision that he was about to make. And my goodness, do we not do the same thing? Oh, we'll go around all kinds of ways to justify what we want to do. Justify a decision that we really know down deep is stupid, is not wise at all. Was he really starving? He was not starving to death. Here's the issue. Look at the screen. The pressure of the moment distorts our perspective. The pressure of the moment distorts reality. Every person in this room knows that committing adultery is a bad decision. Every person in this room knows that using illicit drugs is a bad decision. It will hurt your body. It will, it will completely mess with your mind. It will ruin your life. It will cause addiction. It will tear down relationships. Everybody in this room knows that getting wasted and getting behind the wheel of a car is a bad decision. And yet all of those things and more happen every single day, don't they? Come on, getting through that short Pressure-filled moment is the hardest part of overcoming a temptation. So let's just get extremely practical in the first thing here and just say that the, 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 the best thing is to plan ahead. You plan ahead when all possible. Don't even put yourself in those situations to begin with. Every parent should say amen. Young people, don't even put yourself in the situation where you're alone with your girlfriend or boyfriend for hours upon hours where you can just make out all by yourself. Eventually, something else is going to happen. It's yeah. biology. Yeah. But not just kids, y'all. Come on. If you work in, in a, on a team, Men, women, both of you, use some wisdom, plan ahead. You should never be alone with the opposite sex. You should never be spending hours alone, having lunch, doing meetings by yourself. It's just not wise. And let me, let me just get real old school right here. Can I do that just a minute? There are certain things Christians should not do. There are certain places Christians should not go. Thought I might get a little more help on that one. Now, sometimes situations are unavoidable. And that's when we must be ready. We must make sure that our spirit remains strong. That our spirit has the ammunition to fight even if our physical bodies become weak and our appetite tries to take over. We can fight because our spirit man is stronger because of the word of God. Esau says, I'm starving to death. He exaggerates it. And his rationale is basically, what good is my birthright if I'm dead? Folks, common sense isn't all that common. And every parent said amen. Common sense isn't all that common. A birthright was a very special honor given only to the firstborn son. This was a big deal back then. It included a double portion of the family's inheritance. And in this case, you're talking about what we would think of millions. This was a very wealthy family. You're talking about tons of property, land, servants, animals, just tons and tons that he was foregoing and losing in this. 
It also came with the honor of one day leading the family. And that was even bigger. The oldest son could sell. That was the law. The oldest son could sell or even give away his birthright, but it was extremely rare because he would lose all of those things. Verse 33, but Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn uh, to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. <laughs> now, I've had some expensive meals in my life. Uh, I think about Ruth's Chris and, and all these incredible, you know, it's like great experience. That's nothing. This is the most expensive meal you can imagine. Esau ate the meal, got up and left. And listen to how they, they put this. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn son. My God, that we would not show contempt for our rights as children of Almighty God. That's serious, isn't it? How could Esau be this dense? I mean, honestly, it almost seems unrealistic that this even happened. Is this a metaphor? No, it really happened. How could it happen? Is, is it, it just seems unrealistic. And yet, listen, this type of scenario plays out thousands of times with thousands of people around the world every single day. Men and women trade their souls, their families, their jobs, their money, their influence, their character for what? What amounts to a bowl of stew. for just a few moments of whatever, to just satisfy an impulse without stopping to think about what it will cost them. Every single day, teenagers trade their trust from their parents, their reputation. If they're a Christian, they trade their witness. Lord just brought a story to my mind. Of, of my, it wasn't in my notes, but when I... When I I made a real strong commitment to the Lord in middle school and actually began to lead worship as, as a 13-year-old and do ministry and things like that. And I, I went through middle school and high school as kind of that guy who was close to the Lord. Anybody know, anybody like, you know, you know he was that guy and, and they didn't make fun of me. I was an athlete. I was out there playing with them. I was doing all the stuff. And if they were in trouble, if they had issues, guess who they came to? <laughs> and some of them were Christians. But I'll never forget the night that I graduated. There was a party. I went to the, the, the party because my friends were there. And one of my friends met me at the door with two beers. They were warm. <laughs> I'm like, you're really making this easy for me. <laughs> Warm beer, woo! And, and he said, dude, come on, just one night. Just relax, one night. And I thought to myself, I could throw it all away right here. Thank God that I didn't. I could throw it all away. I, I, I didn't, and I didn't, I didn't judge him, I didn't make fun of him, I didn't do anything, but I just kind of laughed it off and went in had some time with my friends, and left before it got too crazy. Come on. 
But kids trade so much for a moment. Opportunities, scholarships. For what? A bowl of stew. It's that thing that you already know you shouldn't be doing. But something draws you in and you do it anyway. And it's not just people. Come on, it's not just people out there. Not just pagans. Not just sinners. Each of us could tell a story, couldn't we? Each of us could tell a story, some more severe than others, some that cost more than others, but each of us could tell a story. My son Chuck, who, thank God now, loves the Lord, serves the Lord, has a family, he lost his opportunity to play baseball at another level because of these kinds of choices. They're costly. It's a basic principle found from Genesis to Revelation. Whatever type of seed we put in the ground is what's going to come up. What we sow, we we reap. One of my good friends and mentors, Ronnie, he's been on this stage. We travel the world together, do missions together. He got saved at about 28, 29, and he lived like the devil up until that point. I mean crazy stuff. And when he got saved, the first thing he began to pray for was crop failure. Let that sink in. He knew he had put some stuff in the ground and he was praying to God, have mercy. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what can happen. God can cause things to die that the enemy would want to come up and strangle you. That's called mercy. Not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. That's getting up from from being in the negative to ground zero. Grace is everything above that, getting the gift of God and the gift of grace and mercy. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. But we reap, according to the word of God, what we sow, and then we say, but God. Say, but God. I'm thankful for those two words right there. Pastor, I've made terrible mistakes you don't understand, but God. Pastor, I've made terrible decisions. My family's a mess, but God. Pastor, my life is a mess. Everybody say it with me. But God. See, God forgives. And God can heal. And God provides mercy and grace and second chances and third and fourth and fifth and sixth. And only God can redeem. Only God can redeem. Only God can purchase us back from the enemy's grasp. Only God can set us free from our past. Only God can redeem and eventually use those stories as testimonies for his glory. I'm telling you, this last Wednesday night, I got excited. If you're not here on Wednesday night, you're missing it. That's all I'm saying. We've got a new class, a couple new classes, but a new class that is led by uh, Joanna and Scott Reese because they live this life of addiction, live this life of going after the devil and all these things, but they got saved out of it, and now they're sober, and now they're trying to use that testimony to reach other people. And there were 17 people in that Christian recovery class Wednesday night. Give God glory. Come on. <laughs> now, let's pivot. Let me be clear. There are always consequences for our actions. Oh, no, pastor, not if I don't get caught. Oh, yes. Sometimes they are more severe if you don't get caught. I think it's God's grace when we do get caught. 
There's always going to be consequences to sin. But the good news of the gospel is that no matter how steeped in sin you were yesterday, God can redeem your story today. Look at the screen. God won't waste anything if we give him everything. God won't waste any of the pain, any of the struggle, any of the addiction, any of the problem, any of the horror, if we give him all of it. And if we repent and turn. So as is in the case of our own lives, the story of Jacob and Esau gets a whole lot worse before it gets better. Jacob decided that he didn't want to just stop at, at, at deceiving his brother of his birthright, but he also wanted the father's blessing. And Rebecca was involved in that, his mom as well. Isaac was blind. He's old. So he sends Esau out. He wants a good meal. And while Esau's out, Rebecca decides to, to, to manipulate, and, and Jacob's right along with her. And so they, they do this whole big scheme to trick the father into laying hands on Jacob and blessing him, thinking he was Esau. When Esau comes back, he, I mean, come on. Yeah. You haven't left me anything. Come on. He wants to kill his brother. He wants to kill him. Yeah. Long story short, Jacob ends up having to flee hundreds of miles away to his uncle Laban. And with his uncle Laban, the con artist gets conned. Yeah. You know how it comes around? Come on. Sometimes it just comes around. He gets conned. He's there for years. He ends up marrying Leah and then Rachel. Begins having children, all those things. Y'all, if you feel bad about your family, you think your family is dysfunctional, you need to read the story of Jacob. God brought a nation, the nation of Israel out of the most crazy dysfunction that you have ever, ever seen. And if God can do it with them, he can do it with you. Woo. I challenge you, begin reading in Genesis 25 and just read till it's done. By the time it's done, you're going to be going, holy cow. <laughs> Jacob flees his uncle. Eventually, he flees Laban too. Heads back home, but guess who's home? home. Esau. Yep. So Jacob sends messengers ahead for Esau to talk to him and to see how he's feeling. And in Genesis 32, this is what happens. Verse 6, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother, and he's already on his way <laughs> with an army of 400 men. Well, Jacob thinks the worst because the last time he was with Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. Now he has an army and he's thinking he's going to wipe out my entire family. Jacob left his home to go to Laban with nothing, but now he's a wealthy man. Now he has a huge family, servants, animals, and everything. And what he does is he, he, he splits the family up into two groups and he sends one in one direction and one in the other hoping that Esau won't destroy the whole family. Now, that's tough. When you're like, well, I don't know which one of you are going to make it. And that's, anybody ever been between a rock and a hard place? Come on, somebody. That's tough right there. He sends them off, and then he is left alone in the camp to deal with himself. Completely alone. 
This is the most pivotal moment in his life. Sometimes when things come crashing down in our lives, we need to just get alone with God. We need to turn off the noise of this life. I hope you're hearing me today. If you will make those moments of solitude a priority, I'm telling you, God will meet you in those moments and change your life. You can have an encounter with him. You can be different when you leave that moment. And it becomes a personal encounter, not an echo of somebody else's. That's what I'm wanting you to hear today. Not someone else's story of deliverance. Not someone else's testimony, but yours. Jacob was left alone in the camp. And I don't get this. This is a strange story to me. But a man enters the camp, and for some reason, they start fighting. And they fight and wrestle all night. And at some point, Jacob realizes there's something supernatural going on here. There's something different. Somebody say different. There's something different about this man. And so he asked him to bless him. And he will not let go until he blesses him. Oh, my, I feel the Holy Spirit. Somebody in this room needs to wrestle with the Lord. You need to wrestle with yourself. You need to wrestle with your past. You need to wrestle with all of that. And you don't need to let go until God speaks to you, until God meets with you, until God blesses you, until God delivers you of whatever that is. I'm telling you, there's something about meeting with God. It's this man, as they're wrestling, touches his hip and puts it out of place hurting him. But then this is what happens. Genesis 32, 28, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be deceiver. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. He knew what was up. I have seen God face to face, yet my life was spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, but listen, he was limping because of the injury. But I think it was a welcome reminder. I tweaked my back Tuesday. Kathy said, I'm falling apart. I tweaked that to go to the chiropractor, and I still feel it's tender now. You guys know I hurt my ankle two years ago in Israel, and I feel it every step. It's a reminder. But I'm telling you, those weren't very good reminders for me. But this reminder, every time Jacob went like this, he remembered touching God and God touching him. And everything, when he got up from that wrestling match, was changed physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He would never be the same. He would not any longer act as a deceiver, but he would act as a fighter for God. Israel. Israel. A nation would be born right there. Some of you, and I'm closing, some of you have been trying to live your Christian life based on an echo of someone else's experience instead of your own personal encounter with a living God. Look at the screen. An echo is a repetition or an imitation of another. It's not real. It's an imitation of what has already happened. This world, listen, 
This world is way too difficult to try to survive on an echo of someone else's experience. You need a personal encounter with Almighty God. Western Christianity. That's where we are, the West. Western Christianity focuses on intellect and academics. And I'm all about it. I'm all about being prepared and and being able to argue with people about my faith. But I'm not ashamed to tell you that I would have given up on this whole thing years ago if all I had was an intellectual connection to God. Come on, my knowledge and my education, they're important to me, but that's not what changed me. My education is not what continues to sanctify my life. It's only when I push pause on the chaos of this world and I get alone with a holy God and I quiet my spirit before him and allow him to touch me and I encounter the very presence of God. That's when I'm changed from glory to glory. Come on, somebody. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the early service. Probably a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You need to pray for the folks in the next service. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. We get a lot of folks who've never been in church or young, young, young believers. But living off Sunday morning is an echo. Living off your best friend's experience is an echo. Living off mom's faith is an echo. God sent his son to meet with you. God sent his son to die for you. God sent his son so that you could have that encounter and so that your name can be changed. Come on, somebody. God wants to break those labels off of you like stupid and addicted and good for nothing. He wants to break those things off and tell you that you are favored of God highly favored of God and he goes before you and he's behind you and he's to your right and to your left that's what an encounter with God will do you know I didn't have a big idea but this is it if you want to write it down it's not even on the screen God wants to redeem what the enemy has tried to kill steal and destroy from your life God wants to redeem what the enemy has tried to use against you and throw it right back in his face and use it for God's glory. God wants to redeem your story. And he will. Esau did not kill his family, Jacob. When they finally met, they were, it was a wonderful reunion. God is no respecter of persons. What he'll do for Jacob, he'll do for you. A personal encounter is a breath away. And I don't think it's just one. I'm glad it's not just one, April. (laughs) I remember some encounters of my life when I was a little boy and the Holy Spirit in my room by myself convicted me and I, got, I went down and had my mom pray with me for the first time to receive Jesus. I remember as a middle school boy standing in a mountain on a retreat being filled with the Holy Spirit and his power. That's an encounter. 
I remember being on a beach as a senior in high school, getting word that my, I didn't know if my sister had killed herself or not. They couldn't find her. And God met me on that beach. There was an encounter of faith. Before the outcome. Come on, somebody. Before I knew. Have you been trying to survive on an echo? When God wants you to have an encounter. You don't have to try to survive on an echo. Bow your heads, please. Thank you.